0: We will begin our study in the glorious Gospel of John. (laughs) Last week we looked at verses 1 through 3. Today we'll focus on verses 4 and 5. If you missed last week, you have to go back and listen to our website, podcast, whatever, to understand the meaning of verses 1 through 3 in order for verses 4 and 5 and really the rest of the Gospel to tie together for the sake of understanding. The Apostle John, through the writing of this gospel, presents Jesus Christ in his deity. Jesus Christ, the divine. So he's presented in his humanity as we'll see today, but only so far as it relates to his deity. So Jesus Christ, being the only man that has ever been 200% of something, he was 100% man, 100% God. Last week we focused on Jesus Christ, the Word, the Logos, who's God, pre-incarnate. Today we focus on Jesus Christ, the Word, the Logos, the Word, incarnate. In other words, the Word who became a human being. Jesus Christ is not a man that we've elevated to be God. He is pre-creation, pre-earthly ministry, always God, and lowered himself to become a human being. The perfect man. The reason he was perfect in Scythus? Because he was God in the flesh. He's the God-man. So John presents the eternal Word of God, Jesus Christ, and throughout this Gospel, how he was accepted, how he was rejected, and how he was disregarded or simply ignored. And the same is true today. Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, who is the God-man, Jesus said, accept me or reject me. He's accepted today by those that God enables belief, those who God breathes life into. He's rejected by many, and to many, especially in America, who profess to be Christians, people remain very complacent about him. They agree intellectually with who he's claimed to be, who he's proven to be through the scriptures, but that's the extent of it. He's not their Lord he hasn't, they haven't submitted their life to his authority, to his lordship, and the only way that they can is if God, by his grace, enables them to believe, as we'll see today. Last time, as I said, we looked at the pre-incarnate word, verses 1 through 3, and so far we've learned through John that all things were made by the word of God, and the word in English in verses 1 through 3 is the word word. In Greek, it's the word logos. Now, to the Jews, that word would have meant the very spoken word of God. A word spoken in the Jewish mind was very concrete, very objective. Something that was said is something that was done or would be done. To the Greeks, who were very philosophical, they used the word logos or viewed the word logos as a supernatural floating entity, not in personhood, but in a philosophical power that enabled things to do on the earth what they do. And Greek philosophers realized, well, since we've been given the ability to move and operate, think and reason, there must be a supernatural entity or logos that enables us. So John Using this word Lagos, using these three verses, reaches the entire world with the word Lagos in this phrase, "In the beginning was the Lagos, and the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God." He reaches the whole world, the whole world. So he's saying to Jews and to Greeks, "Look, this Lagos that you've been trying to divine, de- define your entire life, is fulfilled, the embodiment of Jesus of Nazareth who is the Christ He is the Word He is God not only was He God He was the Word who was with God and the Word was God He was in the beginning before all things created before He created all things He created time and space He was face to face with with God which shows His individuality His personhood God the Son was face to face with God the Father And we'll see today the work of the Holy Spirit. So he reaches the whole world with this one word, one phrase. Amazing. Amazing grace. Now, as believers, if you're a Christian here today, our spiritual growth is limited by the size of our vision and understanding of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is simply an additive to your life, you're going to have a... one-dimension Jesus in your mind. If Jesus is one-dimensional to you, you want to listen very carefully today because you may want to examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. Or just re-examine the faith that you know to be true in light of Scripture and realize that everything that Christ is is infinite. Just as His Word is. He Himself is His Word. He's the Word. They became man. Christ is eternal. There was never a time that He did not exist. He was face to face with the Father. He's one in essence and nature as the Father, yet distinct from the Father, as is God the Holy Spirit. The universe was spoken into existence by Him, and it is held together by Him. The Word of God. So, from the smallest atom and the quarks inside the protons held together by the gluons inside of those atoms to the biggest, largest, unknown galaxy, it is all held together by the Word. He created it. He holds it together. He holds your life in the palm of His hand, Scripture says. When your day is up, just as your birth date was preordained, your birth, the, the death of you is preordained. And when He closes His hand, you die. You do not live a day longer. He holds it all together. But Jesus didn't simply appear in creation past and then disappear. He holds it together. And He will, in like manner, return. And just as it was created and it's held together in order, when He returns in judgment, it will unravel because the earth is cursed. Man is cursed because of sin. And it's going to unravel because God Himself is immutable. He's unchanging. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So He's the same. He's a God of love and He's a God of wrath. And He's coming back. John goes on to say in verse 4 that Jesus is not only the Word now, who is God, but He's the very life and light of the world. And life and light are essential ingredients to our very existence. And beyond the physical realm, people, science, philosophers, outside of this physical life, they cannot comprehend it. Because outside of a living relationship with Jesus Christ, you remain a natural man or woman, and you cannot comprehend life outside of this realm. And that's why 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. In other words, they're spiritually judged. It's impossible to understand what is after this life. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, says this, God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the universe, who, being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. The universe, held together by the word of His power. Christ holds all forms of life together. That's Christ, pre-incarnate. Pre-coming to earth and becoming a human being. Today we look at verses 4 and 5, we see the incarnate Word. The Word that became, verse 14, flesh. The Word, the Logos. God Himself became flesh. And verse 4 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So John now says that Jesus is the very source of life and light. And this is, life and light in this gospel are are two of the greatest themes in this entire book. Life and light. The gospel basically begins and ends with John declaring that life is in Christ alone. Right here, verse 4, he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The second to the last book of the Gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in in Him you may have life. Jesus said of Himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the life. As a matter of fact, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. He claimed to be the only road, the only way. The gate and the gatekeeper. Life and the life giver. The life taker. In John 5.39, Jesus said, You know, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. to those who do not respond in John ten twenty eight, he said I give them eternal life I give them eternal life these who do respond I'm sorry I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand in John ten ten, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more what? abundantly not only eternal future but eternal life now Now. So the word life and the related phrase to live occurs more than 50 times in this gospel. Life and to live. And in here in verse 4, as well as John 5.26, it's referring primarily to the fact that Christ has life in Himself. John 5.26 says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. Now only God is self-existent. Amen? Amen? Only God is self-existent. Therefore, again, we see clear evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. He has life in and of Himself. He's one in essence and nature with the Father, but yet He's distinct from the Father. Jesus said, I am the Father, are one. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. We also see here that He's distinct from the Father. In verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with the Father. Face to face, face to face communion and fellowship. There's three aspects of life we want to look at, and they're outlined in your bulletin. Three aspects of life in regard to the great provider and sustainer of life himself, Jesus Christ. The first is material or physical life. The second is spiritual life. And the third, eternal life. First we'll look at the material life, and you can turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll look at a couple verses. Now we know that plants have life, and the sun... Gave it to them. Animals have a higher form of life. He also gave it to them. You know, we know that animal, animals have a higher form of life and that they are able to communicate to one another instinctively. You know, we can train them and they'll listen to us and you know, you tell your dog to sit and lie down and they obey versus speaking to a plant. Unless you're into that. <laughs> But all living creatures, plants, I don't care what it is, have their life in Him. So all the matter of creation was made by Him. All that is life in creation is derived from Him and it's supported and held together by Him. Look at verse 11. It says, God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields seed, and the fruit tree, I'm sorry, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was what? That it's good. It was good. That was the word of God that produced plant life, it was the Word of God that produced all kinds of creatures also that had life, that moved that moved about on the earth. And you look at verse 20. God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was what? It was so. He spoke it and... It came to pass. He is the Word. He is Creator. He is Lagos. He is God. In Acts chapter 20, in 17, verse 24, you can just jot this down. It said, God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in the temple made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives life to all, life, breath, and all things. Now, people. Human beings have an even, an even higher form of life. And he's the source and sub- substance of that as well. Now, you may not know that today. I mean, people today seem to have more of an affection and love for animals than they do human beings. I've seen people pull over on the side of the road when they see a dog limping. Oh, poor puppy. You know, And that's fine. But this week I think it was Monday I was driving down Linda Vista right in front of the University of San Diego and on oncoming traffic I see cars weaving around something some object in the road so I take a closer look and there's a scooter laying in the middle of the lane and next to the scooter is a person a human being laying face down cars are going around the scooter no one's stopping by to assist so I run four lanes over there's a young lady 23 year old girl who lost control of her scooter face full of blood and people are driving by her let that be a limping dog mutt or not oh poor puppy human beings have a higher form of life that they've been given by God so much more special that when we die we will face the very one who spoke us into existence and we will be with him either for eternity and eternal bliss with Him, because of the union with Him if you're in Christ, or in judgment. Period. Animals do not face God in judgment. Plant life will not face God in judgment. We will face God in judgment. And either your judgment has been paid for in Christ, or you will pay it yourself. We have a higher form of life. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. That's the sovereignty of God. He called Jeremiah before he was even born. I set you apart for this purpose. Is God sovereign? Is He sovereign in life? Is He sovereign in in, in eternal life? Is He sovereign in salvation? Is He sovereign in regeneration? You better believe He is. Thank you, brothers and sisters. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. In Psalm 103, verse 14, He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. Now physically speaking, upon death, we go back to the ground. You're either going to be slid into a casket and lowered six feet down or you're going to be turned back to dust, whatever your family decides to do with you, okay? You're going back to the ground from which we came. Physically speaking. Physically speaking. But verse 7 also of Genesis chapter 2, God who formed man of the dust of the ground, then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a life being. God's breath, which comes forth out of his mouth, a picture of his spirit. And the spirit of God is associated with the word of God. That breathes life into this human being that is but dust. Now, we discussed the word, we'll use the word breath, spirit and word, and they seem unrelated in English. But in Hebrew, the same word that's used for breath is also used for spirit. And God himself breathed life into that dust. Therefore, we are unique. We are created in the image of God. We're not created in the image of the beast We are created in the image of God. Many people think they're created, and they end up thinking they have the power to create God in their own image. So they say, well, I say God is like this, and I say God is like that. We may agree to disagree, but I say God is like this. Who are you to tell me the difference? It doesn't matter what I have to say. What has He said about Himself? Amen? He's the Word. He's the one that says He spoke life into existence. The same one that birthed life has the power to take life. The same one who birthed life into the dust is the only one that can re- recreate the sin nature of every human being that is born. He's the only one. So we see physical life, and that leads us to, to point two spiritual life. And this is really the central focus of our text spiritual life. So, in one sense, you have John referring to Christ's role in creation of what things? All things. Of everything. He holds it together. In Genesis 1 1 establishes the foundation in the most important truth in Scripture. Because it's the most under attack. It's under attack. Hath God really said it's the same lie. Unbelievers do not want to acknowledge a creator. Because if you acknowledge a creator, there's a moral standard, there's conviction. General revelation has been given to the world through that which is created to let us know deep within there is a God. But man suppresses the truth, Romans Romans 1 tells us. They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And then they profess to be wise and they make God in their own image. For any of us, if you're in Christ, you know this because God has, by His grace has brought us to this place of understanding, to truly appreciate the the importance of the gift of spiritual life, we have to know for certain that apart from Him, we're completely dead spiritually. There's no one who is born that is not spiritually dead. Because when God created man, man chose to sin, and every human being from Adam and Eve on are born with a sin nature, separated from God relationally. Now Jesus Christ has, there's two distinct powers that belong to the Son of God in creation. The first one is the formation of the world and in the order and nature of it as he holds it together. We just discussed that. The second is the power of recreation, renewing and restoring fallen nature, okay? Now, James Boyce says this, We are as unresponsive to God as was the dust of the earth before God breathed His Spirit into it. Human beings, in their own volition, they do not seek God. We seek to run from God. It is God who draws the sinner to Himself. When you thank God for your salvation, why do you thank Him for it? Because He lifted the veil of unbelief. You never thank yourself for your own salvation, amen? We thank God because He gave us the ability to believe. He's the one that caused us to be born again, which means to be regenerated, rebirthed. We don't make ourselves born again. We don't lift the veil of unbelief. He does that supernaturally. Therefore, we thank God and praise Him for our salvation. Man doesn't do it. God seeks after man. When God seeks after man, He finds that man or woman, and He brings that man or woman to faith because He gives them the ability to see and to believe. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. See, if, you, if you're only born once, you're going to die twice. Everyone's physically born. We got that. Everyone's physically born. And if you're only physically born on this earth, you will die twice. You will die physically, and you will suffer the consequence of a double death. Death is the consequence of sin. Sin. So, because you're already spiritually dead when you're born, unless that nature is transformed by the grace of God, you will die a second death, and that's to face God in judgment to where you'll be eternally separated from Him forever and ever and ever. Jesus said, unless a man be born again in John chapter 3, he cannot see the kingdom. So to be born again means to receive new life from God Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ by power and way of the Holy Spirit. That's the breath of the spiritual life breath of God. Now all people who are born on the earth are as equally spiritually dead. Okay, You can have a little old lady that lives down the street, never taken a tote, a smoke, never cussed. She goes to church, but she's not a true believer. She's spiritually dead. And she is just as spiritually dead as is the Georgia Tech murderer. They're both dead. There's just different levels of corruption. Different levels of corruption. Now, when the Bible declares that all men are in equal state of corruption, it doesn't mean they're identically dead. They're just dead. Okay? Let me read you an illustration by Harry Ironside, which illustrates this beautifully. Harry A. Ironside points out, three instances in the life of Jesus Christ that clearly illustrates what the Bible is saying here. And I quote, The beautiful little maid, the daughter of Jairus, had been dead only a few minutes when the blessed Lord reached her father's house, but she was dead. She was lifeless. She was fair to look upon, lovely and sweet, no doubt, in the eyes of her beloved parents like a beautiful marble statue. But although there was not corruption that there might have been, she was dead nevertheless. She was just minutes dead. Now you turn to the, Luke gospel, the, 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 Luke, or the Gospel of Luke, and you find that there's a blessed Lord, He comes into the village of Nain, and they were carrying a young man to bury him. He was in a casket, he was dead. He's wrapped up, ready to be buried. Dead perhaps a day or two. This young man was dead longer than the little maid, but life was just as truly extinct in her case as in his. And then you have the blessed Lord at the grave of Lazarus. The sister, the sisters cried out to Christ not to roll away the stone for their brother had been dead four days and would have already been offensive. Corruption had set in. But the Lord Jesus brought new life to that man as well as to the others. In the same way, we are all genuinely dead apart from the life-giving spirit of Jesus Christ. They were all dead. The little girl, you could still put your little face next to her and she'd still be somewhat warm. Kiss on her, as I'm sure the parents did, weeping over her. The boy and the young man in the casket, you probably wouldn't have done that. There was probably a stench. You certainly wouldn't have done that with Lazarus. He was four days in the grave and there was a stench. They weren't identically dead, but they were all what? Dead. All human beings are born spiritually Dead. They need spiritual life birthed into them by the supernatural work of the life-giver himself, Jesus Christ, the Lagos, the Word. Different degrees, degrees of corruption, no doubt. When God takes normal dust, a normal common human being, and he breathes life into them, he brings spiritual life into them, He goes on and He uses them in ways that only God can get the glory for. Period. The fact that I'm standing here before you today and I've been standing at this pulpit for a year and I've been blessed to serve in ministry for years now is a supernatural work of God and only He could get the glory for it. I know what I was. I know what He transformed me from being. It's His work. Only He can get the glory. For I was saved or word got out that I was saved. About 10 years ago, someone I knew in the past found out I was saved and the person who informed them that I was saved and truly saved, the person said, I would have bet my house that dude would have never been saved. (laughs) That's the supernatural work of God. You take common men throughout time that God has done great things to. You think of the life of Abraham. The life of Abraham. A common man. There was nothing special about him. Zero. Joshua 24 says... The Lord God of Israel says, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and I gave him Isaac. Tooks, takes this common man, later on he's 100 years old, his wife is 90, God had promised him a son, she's barren, they're too old to have kids, they go on to have a son, Isaac. He said, "Through that son is going to come another son, another son. He's going to have that son's going to have 12 sons. They're going to turn into 12 tribes, those 12 tribes, the nation of Israel. through that nation will come the promised one, the Messiah. God, incarnate, becoming a man. And God used him in a great way. You have Moses. He was found as an infant in a basket coated with tar and pitch. In Exodus one twenty-two it says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born to you shall be cast into the river. Exodus 2.5, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, heard the baby crying, had compassion, and then ended up raising Moses in the house of Pharaoh. Is God sovereign? In his providence, that was his plan, and he allowed that to take place. Pharaoh grows up, In Pharaoh's house, he's 40 years old. He begins to have a burden for his people, those who are the Israelites, the Hebrew people of the day. He sees the Egyptian beating one. He looks left, he looks right, and he kills the Egyptian. Buries him in the sand. Finds out the next day someone saw him. In fear, he runs to the desert. Lands a job as a shepherd. One day, he's leading his sheep, his flock from one end of the desert to the other. He stands, he sees a burning bush. God speaks to him. In Exodus 3, 4, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am, Lord. A common man, amen? Now, God took a common man and did supernatural things to those common men. You have King David, the young shepherd boy, the most likely to be chosen by God for the commission of king. But 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. From the slaying of Goliath to the Philistines to the greatest king of Israel, a little shepherd boy, common. Everyday little fella. You have the prophets, common men chosen by God to be his very mouthpiece. Jesus said of the prophets in Luke thirteen thirty four, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent. Who sends them? God. God sent them. Mary and Joseph, a young, precious, common, little, everyday peasant girl and her carpenter fiance. She's chosen by God. Gabriel, an angel, comes to her in Luke 1.30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Next week we'll look at John the Baptist. Chapter 1, verse 6 of John he was a man sent from God. Common man. The guy wore camel's hair, leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. A common guy who did supernatural things, not by his own strength or might. The common disciples, a ragtag group of young men, most of whom were fishermen. Amen? common little brothers. But in Acts chapter 4, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus. John Bunyan lived in the mid-1600s. He was the son of a tinker, and he himself was a tinker. A tinker is basically an unskilled repairman. An unskilled handyman was this brother was not well educated he said of himself and he said of his past and i quote it was my delight to be taken captive by the devil at his will being filled with all unrighteousness that from a child i had but few equals but for cursing swearing lying and blaspheming the holy names of god he said under the preaching of a preacher And he said that there were some sporadic periods of convictions of sin that helped restrain me from any further rebellion. But nonetheless, I rebelled. But all the while, he said, I mourned with this joyless existence as I realized that I was lost. I was outside of Christ. And Bunyan later wrote, after his conversion, he says, "...I cannot express to you with what longings and breakings in my soul I cried to Christ to call me." He even confessed to be jealous of animals because they did not have to give a soul account before God. Huh? Come on now. After his conversion, God took this common tinker and did this miraculous work of powerful preaching and writing through the mouth and the hand of Mr. John Bunyan. And then nearly half of his adult life he had spent in prison for preaching the Word of God. And when he was told one day, John Bunyan, if you stop preaching, you'll be free tomorrow. John Bunyan replies, If I'm free today, I'll preach tomorrow. So he spends 12 and a half years in prison and he pens some classic writings which you would benefit to read, including the classic Pilgrim's Progress. Now, there was a contemporary of John Bunyan by the name of John Owen. John Owen will be the next hero of faith on our website. You look at those, by the way? Good. You get to see him soon. He was known as the Prince of the English Divines. A great theologian. Had many prolific writings accredited him. He did some incredible work. Owen was once Vice Chancellor of uh, Oxford University. He was looked at as a genius with learning second only to John Calvin. Oliver Cromwell, Charles King Charles II were really mesmerized by Owen. And one story says that King Charles II asked Owen, he asked him one time, he said, why do you bother going to hear an uneducated tinker like Bunyan preach? He replied, could I possess that tinker's ability for preaching? I would most gladly relinquish all of my learning. That's a man dust, breathed life by the Spirit of God into him, preaching the power of the kingdom on earth. Bunyan. A tinker. A common man. If you remember, it's stated in 1 Corinthians verse 1. jot this down, beginning in verse 26. You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. in the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, in order that no flesh should glory in His presence." God will share His glory with no one. So He takes weak, common people, dust, breathes spiritual life into them, and they go on to do supernatural things because it's God's power through them to where only He can get the glory. Only He can get the glory. He shares it with no man. He breathes life into dust and empowers common people with supernatural, uncommon power. There's your physical life. There's your spiritual life. That leads to point number three, everlasting life. Now, those who've been graciously granted spiritual life also have eternal life. Now, we live in a culture where everyone's spiritual, right? Oh, I'm I'm a very spiritual person. Now, let me tell you something. This is the Word of God. If someone is not spiritual in the context of having a true, right, living relationship with the only God of the universe, Jesus Christ, their spirituality is of the devil. That's what the Bible says. For the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the gate. I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the bread. I'm the life. I'm the living water. He's the only way. He's the only one that came out of heaven and provided a way for man to be right with God. And only He can breathe life into the spiritually dead and make them born again. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm just not born again Christian. Then you're not a Christian. Because Jesus said, unless ye be born again, ye shall not see the kingdom of heaven. Can't understand it. You won't see it physically, you won't see it spiritually, you'll never be able to comprehend it because you will remain in this physical realm, you will die in this physical realm and you'll be judged spiritually unto everlasting darkness where Jesus said there'll be wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why we live and breathe and preach and teach and share the glorious gospel which means good news of Jesus Christ the good news. And that spiritual life birthed into dust, birthed into a sinful human being by the supernatural work of God, he initiates the the relationship. He grants you the ability to believe, the ability to respond, the ability to walk in fellowship with him, the ability to glorify his name through every day life. The end result? Everlasting life. And everlasting life is eternal some people teach, well, he used to be saved. There ain't no I used to be saved or he used to be saved. If someone's truly saved, they have what kind of life? Everlasting life. How long does that last? Forever and ever and and ever. If you could lose it, it wouldn't be everlasting. It, it, it seems pretty simple. But some of these guys that call themselves theologians, they make it very complicated. But we don't want to confuse someone who has everlasting life with someone who thinks they have everlasting life. As 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us because they were never really of us. There's a difference. In John 5.24, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears these words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Has. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life you have physical life spiritual life has been birthed into you as a believer which grants you everlasting life because we were all dead let's remember what we were let's look at Ephesians 2 to remember what we were We'll we'll often go back to Ephesians 2 just so that we don't get puffed up in our salvation thinking that we deserve it, right? Because we were all at one time walking dead men and walking dead women just as the world who doesn't know Christ are living and walking dead men or women. Physically alive, spiritually dead. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you... Context, true believers, he, God, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you what? Once walked. So for the believer, this is past tense. This is how we once walked. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the prince who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by what? Nature. Our very nature. Children of wrath, just as the others. And here's the big but. But God, not man, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us what? Alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. A seat prepared for you in heaven. Because your name is in the Lamb's book of what? Life, not death. Life. Spiritual life. The product of which is everlasting life. New creatures in Christ. Now see, this is a work that God begins. In the work that God begins, He promises to what? To complete that work. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete the work. If you had any part of holding on to your salvation, guess how miserable you would be for when you fall and make mistakes or fall into some type of sin if you could think for a moment oh man I think this afternoon I just lost my salvation where is the joy in that somebody if he begins it he sustains it if he sustains it he'll complete it he justifies you he sanctifies you with a guarantee to one day glorify you it's his work it's his work not confusing this with someone making saying the prayer to accept Jesus in their heart when they were 12 and there's no fruit. And the only, the only thing that they can say about themselves, well, I accepted Jesus when I was 12 or I came forward. Look, if there's no manifest fruit in one's life as to a life change which he initiates and he transforms, if there's no fruit of a supernatural work of God in you, then that person must really examine themselves, as Paul said to the Corinthians, to see if you're in the faith. Again, 82% of America says that they're Christians. The world would not be the same if 82% of America were true, born again, according to the Bible, believers. Could not. When Jesus shows up, man, there's nothing that stays the same. Amen? You can't stay the same if He invades your heart. When He invades your heart, there's transformation. The Apostle Paul was on his road to Damascus to arrest Christians. Christians documents in his hand from the high priest. He had the freedom to do it. He was not going to seek God. God sought him. God found him. God transformed him right there. God's work. He invaded his life. You know, people say, well, God's a gentleman. He won't invade your life. You know what? Yes, He does. Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what, if you're His, He will invade your life and supernaturally transform you from the inside out. He'll grant you the desire to repent. That's why John Bunyan said, I cried out to God that He would call me. If you sit here today with unbelief, cry out to God, Lord, open the eyes, help my unbelief. Call me. Please, give me the ability to believe. Lift the veil of unbelief. Lift the veil of darkness with all this worldly desire that I have. I pray for your mercy. That's what you pray. That's a prayer of wisdom because that's biblical wisdom. He completes the work. This is being assured. Larry read Psalm 23 this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You know that when a sheep lies down in green pastures, I don't care how green they are, how scrumptious they are. Do you know if his nose is an inch from the grass in which he, in which he grazes on, he will not eat if he's lying down? sheep are so dumb they could be lying there smelling and go man I'm hungry that smells good they will stand up first bend over and then eat that's why this is such an awesome picture when Christ our great shepherd causes us to lie down in green pastures that means that he alone is totally able to absolutely fulfill and satisfy your every need because he's the bread of life he is the living water there's no getting up. You keep feeding on the world. You want to feed on the world and you want to feed out, feed off of what the world is spitting out, you'll always be hungry, man. Never satisfied. But he causes us to lie down. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verse 6, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be filled." And the only way someone can hunger and thirst for righteousness is if they come to the place of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. They come to the end of themselves and go, Lord, I'm a beggar. I have no righteousness in myself. I'm a wretched sinner. Have mercy upon me, O God. I'm full of shame. This is what the word poor means in Greek. This is the picture of it. You have nothing. You are absolutely bankrupt in shame, reaching out for alms at the city gate. Spiritually speaking. Nothing to offer God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Those who come poor in spirit, they begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness that only He can provide. You'll be filled. Keep eating on the world, like I said, hungry you get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier nothing will satisfy you'll have a junk food diet and you'll begin to die a junk food death spiritually speaking the world has nothing in Christ there's nothing more to desire he's the fulfillment of it all he's the source he's the substance of all forms of life and the very essence of eternal life because he is the spiritual life giver he's the only one He's it. And this life, back to John, this life is the light. This spiritual life, this eternal life giver, the one who breathed life into all of us physically, the one who holds your very breath in his hand, he is, verse second part of verse 4, the life was the light of man. The light of man. Physical words dependent upon light. This earth is dependent upon light. So this idea is transferred to the spiritual. He's life and he's light. They're inseparable. This phrase, the life was light, is in the same construction as verse one that says the word was God. The word was God, life is light. Life and light synonymous. Can't separate Christ from his word, amen. We can't separate Jesus from the word because he is the word. The same is true with life and light. They're essentially the same. You can't separate them. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You know why? Because you have His life where? In you. In you. John uses light as a symbol of knowledge, understanding, truth. The veil has been lifted. You're no longer a natural man who doesn't understand the things of God. At one time they were foolishness to you. Amen? Amen? The things of God were foolishness to us because we were perishing. He breathed life into us. The veil was lifted. Now we understand. We understand. The originator of life and light lowered Himself. This life and light became a man. He came to earth in bodily form. Jesus, the God-man, the Word. And you know what He did? He exposed its darkness. He came to earth and exposed darkness. Darkness. And you know who thought they had the most light when He came? The people who thought they were closest to the light. Religious people. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They thought they had the light, and Christ came and shone the light upon the darkness of their soul. It was all outward. Jesus said, you're all dead men. You're whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's what? Bones. You focus on the outside of the cup, it's all spotless, but the inside of the cup is filthy. Filthy. And they're the ones who led the pursuit of the arrest kangaroo court Jesus Christ and then His death and crucifixion. They led it. The one who professed to have the most light. That group of hypocrites, actors. Just as they tried, the, unfor- the unseen forces of evil who led it, who was behind it, who were pushing it, exposed as well. Look at verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now the heart of the verse is not that the darkness didn't understand it. Okay, that's not the meaning of the word comprehend. It doesn't mean that the darkness wasn't able to comprehend or understand Christ and what he was about. We'll see the meaning in a moment. They knew exactly well who he was. The demons themselves were cr- confronted by this very life and light on a regular basis. The people who were indwelt with demons, they spoke through the demon possessed people, and this is what they said of Christ. They often cried out in fear. Mark chapter 1 30, 34, Jesus cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. He wasn't ready yet to reveal himself fully. In Luke chapter four verse 34, the demons cry out and they say, "Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." In Luke 4:41, demons also came out of many crying out saying, "You're the Christ, you are the Son of God." They understood who He was. They understood what the light was. They understood the life source. They know and they believe the truth about Jesus. That's the very reason that they have desperately attempted to destroy the life and the light. Because they know their end. It's called the lake of fire. They know their end. The lake of fire was created for Satan and demons and all who will follow them. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God... You do well. But even the demons believe, and you know what they do? They believe and they tremble. Do you not know, O foolish man, faith without works is dead. They tremble because they know who the light is, they know who the life source is, and they know their end. So those who say, yeah, I believe there's one God, all right. Well, you do well, bud. But unless your God is the God of the Bible, the Logos, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, you've got a false God, pal. The kingdom of darkness attempted to destroy Israel, the very nation of which the Messiah would be birthed through. They tried it over and over to destroy the kingly line of David because it was through the line of David again that the king of kings would come the Messiah through Herod the kingdom of darkness attempted to destroy baby Jesus when Herod sends out his men to murder every male child two years old and under in all of Bethlehem and then Satan had the goal to face the life and the light to tempt him away and detour him around the only way to gain back that which he created which was the cross. Satan says, Look, bow down to me now. All the kingdoms of the earth will be yours now if you simply bow down for it has all been delivered up to me. Product of the curse. God gave it to Adam and Eve to be stewards of. They submitted to Satan. They rebelled against God. The title deed to the earth was given to the prince of darkness. Jesus Christ comes. He's coming in a sense to win it back, so to speak. He has the title deed in his hand, but it was only by one way he was going to do it, the cross. The temptation was to avoid the cross. And then finally at the cross, he attempts again to kill the unkillable. The self-existent one, Jesus Christ. You can't kill the unkillable. They killed the man side of him. He was 100% man. Did he die? Yes. Yes. But he's also 100% God. You can't kill God. That's why he raised from the dead. Fully God, fully man. Raised the third day. So, it's not that they didn't comprehend in terms of understanding who the light was and who the life giver was. So a more literal translation would be that the darkness was not able to seize it. The darkness was not able to apprehend it. The darkness was not able to overtake it. Unable to conquer it. You see? unable another meaning of the word that linguistic experts say is closer to John's intent is that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not quench it did not extinguish it or did not eclipse it the light came in to that which he created the life giver became that which we are human he came in and he shone his brightness upon the darkness of a sinful world darkness hides out in alleys Corners. You light a match in a dark room, what happens to the darkness? Whew, it scatters. scatters. Just one little candle, that's all it takes. This is the life giver. The producer of light that came into the earth and shone upon the darkness of a sinful, cursed creation. Cursed because of sin. So the meaning of the verb here is also seen in John 12:35 that says this, Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you, walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. My plea today is for anyone who sits here the light of Christ is being revealed through his living word and you continue to resist this light, become hardened to this light. Just like Jesus said, Walk while you have light, or the darkness will overtake you. The darkness will overtake you. Remember in John, they would not believe, therefore, they could not believe. God's judgment so that the same light of Christ now here it is here's the conclusion the same light of Jesus Christ the life of Christ is the very light that's been granted to you if you're in Christ it's been granted to you it is in you it it is what is to be reflected through you through us the moon does not produce its own light amen it's simply a reflection of the sun the source of light we have no light in and of ourselves. All we have is the reflective light of the sun, S-O-N, of God. The Word, the life, the light. And the question is, are we reflecting that light? You're physical. We're all physical. If you're in Christ, you're spiritual. And if you're spiritual, you're an eternal being of God. Everlasting life. We should shine as a city set on a hill. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, "You are the light of the what? world." We're little candlesticks running around, brothers and sisters. Candlesticks. Dust. Life has been breathed into physically You're in Christ. He's breathed life into you spiritually. And because you're a spiritual being of God Himself, you're an eternal being of God Himself. We're pilgrims passing through a dark world as candlesticks for the glory of God. For His glory. He's gifted you with unique gifts for service to the body of Christ and to be lights as unto the world that's lost. Jesus said, He went on to say, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lamp stand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. They might not like the light, but they can't say that there is no light. Amen? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. Not you, not me, but the one who lives in us, the life source, the light himself, the Logos, the Word of God. Jesus Christ. Residence of the Holy Spirit in you. God breathed life to do the unthinkable, the supernatural, His power. Common man, common women, all dust with the life of God in and through us. And finally, if you're not in Christ, you don't have life, spiritually, Therefore, you have no promise of eternity with Him. So my plea to you is to take what you've heard here today and to cry out to God as John Bunyan did, O Lord God, call me. Lift the veil of unbelief that has blinded me. Have mercy upon me. Enable me to see. For we all were once blind, but now we what? See. We see. Because of the light and the life that is in us. Now, if you're a Christian, and you say, you know what? My light has been eclipsed. My light is being eclipsed. Then you know what has happened? You've moved away from the source of light. There's only one thing to do. It's to repent. That means to turn around have a change of thinking and get back to the source of light, the living Word of God, get into the Word, get the Word into you and then walk and abide in Him. And then your light will so shine that men will see your good works and they will glorify God in heaven. He's the life, He's the light, and we close up as I read, in Him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not extinguish it could not extinguish it, somebody. Never extinguish it, ever. We are His light. He is the light through us. Amen? Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ today and you have any questions, please come talk to me. Talk to somebody in here who, who knows Jesus Christ, perhaps a friend who brought you. And again... Cry out to God that He'll reveal His glorious truth to you so that you can become a member of the household of God by His grace. Grace means unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You could never have done any more bad than the worst sinner that's ever been saved. Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. I call myself the chief of all sinners. I'm granted grace, unmerited favor by God. Cry out to God. There's no sin that's unforgivable except one. And it's to reject the glorious gospel of the life source, the light of Jesus Christ himself and die in that condition because you die a natural man and you'll face a death that is everlasting. Outer darkness. So come to the light today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I begin by thanking you that we we're even able to say, Heavenly Father, term of intimacy, communion, fellowship, and family. We thank you that through your Son, the Word of God, the life, the light, who came to earth and became like one of us, came and paid the price for us, that we would have hope, that you have sent your Spirit to indwell us, to empower us, to enable us to see and to believe and then to abide in you because of our relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, may we understand what it means to be graced, to stand in the grace and to walk in the grace that's been provided so that we can be a city set on a hill, that we can be a lamp on a lampstand. I pray for these dear people that you would do a sanctifying work in them and in myself of continuing to conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And for those who are yet in darkness, who are still natural men or women, I pray that you would pull the very veil of unbelief away from their spiritual eyes to see and to respond to your glorious call that they might be saved.